Playwright Jesse Kornbluth has written a play titled The Color of Light about the Matisse Chapel in Vence in France. He thinks we may be surprised by that, so he explains to us about what he understands. It's easy to be underwhelmed by the chapel in Vence. It's as close to empty as possible. No organ, no seats for a choir, nothing to look at but colored windows, a few figures, and some black designs and abstractions on the glazed white ceramic tiled walls. But to see it as a building that contains Matisse's art and some colored windows is to miss his intent. For him, the building itself was art, an environment designed to lift your spirits and bring you closer to wherever you find the divine. The main feature of the chapel is light. There are many windows, some clear, some blue, green, and yellow, but not just any blue, green, and yellow. The blue is a shade Matisse said he'd only seen twice, once on the wing of a butterfly, once in the flame of burning sulfur. The green is bottle green, and it's lemon yellow. When the light streams through, the colors merge on the white tiled floor and come alive. Children sometimes cup their hands and try to gather a present for their parents. They get it. Words of Jesse Kornbluth, author of the play The Color of Light, about the Matisse Chapel he describes as a building designed to inspire hope. Kornbluth tells us the children get it, and maybe in these troubled times we should take a cue from them. That's what arts advocate John Lacuda of the Wyoming Valley believes. Each year he leads an artist's tour of landmark churches in northeastern Pennsylvania, inviting artists, photographers, amateur and professional, teachers too, to visit a number of different houses of worship, to look, to sketch, to capture images, to sense the space and enrich their creative imagination, their creative lives. And there is no charge. The 2021 tour will take place in and around Hazleton. And we had a chance to speak by phone with John Lakuda about the theme this year. I'm going to expand my annual church tour to Hazleton, and this will be the second time I've done the church tour outside of the Wyoming Valley. Last year was the first, notwithstanding COVID-19. I actually had two last year. And I chose Hazleton because I had such a good reception from the people in Freeland, many of whom belong to the Hazleton Camera Club. But the, the way I went about picking these particular houses of prayer is a bit of a, a story of a pilgrimage, a personal pilgrimage on my part. Back in February, I was having a, a lot of personal turmoil and, and anxiety. And when I get that way, I like to go onto the computer and look at images that give me a sense of calm and, and, and relax me, usually works of art by artists that I really appreciate. And back in February... Uh, I chose to look at the works of Edward Hicks, the great American folk artist. And Edward Hicks was born in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and he was born in 1780, which just happens to be the year that Hazleton got its name. 
And uh, Hazleton was named because a group of uh, Moravian missionaries went along with a detachment of soldiers from eastern Pennsylvania to the Cunningham Valley to either retrieve or at least bury the bodies of soldiers who had been ambushed by probably Iroquois in what's known as the Sugar, the Sugar Loaf Massacre of 1780. And as they were traveling up what was called the Warriors Road, which is now Route 93, and they came upon this great patch of uh, hazel trees. And they were so impressed by the stand of hazel trees, they called that place Hazelton. Uh, and just as the Moravian missionaries and the soldiers who were killed and the, and the soldiers who, who buried their bodies were affected by the Revolutionary War that was going on in 1780, so did uh, Edward Hicks. Edward Hicks's father was an Anglican, and apparently he had loyalist sympathies. Uh, and soon after Edward Hicks was born, the father came on to hard economic times and actually had to leave his son, Edward, who was an infant, with a family of Quakers. Uh, I think the family name was Twining. Uh, and he was brought up by this family and uh, eventually became a Quaker. Uh, he didn't do so immediately. Uh, he had no interest in going to school. He was apprenticed to a coachmaker and uh, he learned the craft of painting signs. But when he was 20 years old or thereabouts, uh, he had a serious illness. And after that serious illness, uh, he actually started to attend the Quaker meetings. And by the time he was 30, he had actually become a Quaker minister. But he had this love of art. He was self-taught. And he had this love of art, which was somewhat in conflict with the strict code of what Quakers should do or should not do. So throughout his life, he had this tension in him between his love for art and his dedication to being a Quaker and a, and a minister in the Quaker faith. Additionally, there was a rift amongst the Quakers about that same time, and both of those things, I think, affected him. And the work of art that I chose to look at was not one of his peaceable kingdoms, I chose to look at a work from his last few years. It's called The Cornell Farm. And it depicts this orderly array of livestock. And uh, it's somewhat reminiscent of his painting of Noah's Ark with animals marching in row, orderly row to the, to the ark. But the Cornell Farm doesn't have an overtly religious subject. It is more of a maybe a quaint, maybe nostalgic view of a Quaker farm, and I think, to me, it represents his ability to reconcile the tensions in his life between dedication to art, dedication to the ministry, and the rift that occurred amongst the Quakers themselves. So um, I went to the internet, I looked at that, and I got the sense of calm that I wanted. Later in the day, I went back to see it again, and I'm typing in the Cornell farm, and up pops a site referencing the chapel of the rosary created by uh, Henri Matisse in the uh, last few years of his life. And it was a snippet of a larger program presented by a British art critic. I think his name is Alistair Souk, S-O-O-K-E, not Cook, Souk. And I had seen this before, but I hadn't found it. I mean, it, it simply popped up. So I looked at it. 
And I guess this was the first time that Alistair Souk had gone to the uh, chapel, which is in Vence, in the south of France. And he is actually moved to tears by what he called the still and serene space that Matisse had created. And Matisse created this as a tribute or an act of kindness to thank a nun who had cared for him after he had suffered a serious life-threatening illness. And he designed this chapel from start to finish. Every detail has his hand in it. And in this particular chapel, as Alistair Souk says, he has reduced those things, those elements of his art, to their essence. Uh, the interior is a very simple white interior, uh, but he decorated it with line drawings, murals, which are essentially just line drawings. So he has pared down everything he had been working with to their essence. Uh, and the only colors he worked with were three colors, a yellow, a blue, and a green that are in his stained glass windows. So as the light changes, as the sun travels through the sky, the light inside changes. And so his entire life he had been working with line and with color. And now he uses this chapel as his canvas. And what he's working with is the essence of line, and his substance is light itself. And when I was thinking about those two things, which occurred on the same day, my, my coming across this particular uh, website and watching this, and the, uh, the story of uh, Edward Hicks, that got me thinking about a story I had learned when I was a boy. And it was told to me by uh, one of the nuns in the parochial school I attended. And it was about Blessed Julia of Norwich. Uh, Blessed Julia of Norwich was an uh, English mystic who lived from maybe 1335 to uh, sometime after 1416. And she was an anchorage, an anchorist. And uh, that is a person who is a religious recluse. And she lived through the plague. And at some point in her life, she became deathly ill. And she was so ill that she was given the last rites. And as she was being given the last rites, she said that she had a vision. And this is the vision that the nuns recounted for me. She said that she looked in her hand, and there was everything that was ever made, the universe, all of creation in her very hand. And she wrote that she was shown a little thing, the quantity of a hazelnut lying in the palm of my hand. I thought, what may this be? And it was answered, this is all that is made. I wondered how it could last. I thought it might fall to nothing because it was so small. And it was answered, it lasts and ever shall, for God loves it. And so have all things their beginning by the love of God. And, and throughout her life, she wrote about this particular vision, and her conclusion was that we cannot have peace or rest if we trust in the material things, because the universe itself is fragile. We must find our trust and our rest in encountering God, in searching for the divine, and uh, stop worrying about the material world. And once we get to that point, 
we can set aside our worldly cares, and then we could do truly good things. Once we understand the, the, the mercy and love of God, then even commonplace things, mud and sticks and stones, can be transformed into something much more important because they reflect and they show the way to God, and that is where we find our peace. So uh, given those currents of thought, I decided that I was going to pick three houses of prayer in downtown Hazleton on Church Street, and I wanted to choose houses of prayer that were very simple, made of stone, of brick, with some stained glass, but had a simple design because it was the simplicity of the life of Blessed Julia and the simplicity of the design of the chapel of the Holy Rosary uh, and the simplicity of the paintings of Edward Hicks that so impressed me. And so for this year's artist tour of landmark churches, I have picked three houses of prayer on Church Street in Hazleton, The tour is going to begin Sunday, May the 23rd at 8.30. We are going to meet at the Hub Center, which is located at 15 West Broad Street, which is Highway 93, which was the Warrior's Path, which the Moravian missionaries followed. Uh, And that, the Hub Center, is located between Laurel Street and Wyoming Streets in downtown Hazleton. We're meeting at 8.30, and then we're going to take a walk. Church Street, rain or shine, and the first house of prayer we're going to visit is Trinity Lutheran Church, which is a beautiful stone church, and I understand it has beautiful stained glass windows and a very simple interior. And it just so happens that the minister of that particular congregation, uh, a Reverend Kaufman, uh, has a son who is a talented videographer, and last month... In April, he actually interviewed me at the church. And while I was going through this interview, he just mentioned that there was a chapel in Cybertsville, which is a Byzantine Rite chapel, which was going to close at the end of the year. And he just offhandedly said, why don't you go there, because you're not going to get a chance to see it again. And as, as it happens, I did call, and that will be the fourth house of prayer we're going to visit. But we're going to start at 8.30 at the Hub Center, On Broad Street, we're going to travel to Trinity Lutheran Church. We should be there at about 9 o'clock. We could spend about 45 minutes to an hour there, and then cross what I would call an alley, but apparently it's a street, to Temple Beth Israel, which again is a very simple structure. It's made of brick, but it has beautiful stained glass in it, as I understand. We'll spend about an hour there. Then we're going to take a, a walk around downtown Hazleton, because there's a couple churches that we're not going to get into, but we can see the exterior, and there's some beautiful architecture. And then at about 12 o'clock, we're going to go to Christ Lutheran Church, which is also on Church Street in Hazleton, and we'll spend time there. After that, we're going to get into cars and travel the about eight miles to Cybersville. We're actually going to travel past the site of the Sugarloaf Massacre and we're going to get to see the chapel of the Holy Dormition. And you, you might think that this is a great contrast between these simple churches in downtown Hazleton 
and a Byzantine Rite Catholic Church. But when you really think about it, they are just flip sides of the same thing. Stained glass and icons actually can trace their roots to about the 6th century. And they really grew out of Roman art. And they're basically flip sides of the same thing. When one writes an icon, and you don't paint an icon, you write an icon. When one writes an icon, one starts with a simple line drawing that you have to trace exactly. And it might seem like it's almost childlike, but it's as precise as Greek mathematics. And then you begin the process, and the process is you start with the darkest colors. In fact, all flesh is painted with a muddy uh, uh, gray color or maybe a muddy brown color, and then you go to the light. And in that particular tradition, there are not a lot of uh, stained glass windows because in the Eastern Rite, the light comes from, in, from within, not from without. So whereas Western tradition has lots of stained glass and the light comes from with, without and illuminates the space within, in the Eastern tradition, the space within illuminates the world around it. And the, the, the icons, which are helps to prayer and devotion, are basically similar to the stained glass you find in the Western rites and in Protestant denominations. Uh, so we should be there in the afternoon. The tour, of course, is free of charge. It's open to artists and photographers, amateur or professional. They're invited to bring along their cameras, sketchbooks. Uh, we'll be meeting at 8.30 at the Hub Center, and I'm asking people to please bring masks and wear uh, comfortable shoes and clothing appropriate for visiting houses of prayer. And hopefully we'll have a time to see manifestations of light in a number of ways. In the past, when you've had these artists' tours and given creative people the chance to spend time in and around these houses of prayer, what are the things that seem to be important for them, and how do you actually manage the time within each space? I'm not going to do any speaking. When I do this particular tour, I let people encounter it on their, on their own. Most of them have never been in any of these churches or a synagogue. They see them from the outside. But, but seeing a church or a synagogue from the outside is, is like walking into a library and not opening a book. Getting inside, you actually see the space. And, and some people may see this as just a manifestation of art, but, but I would think that the priest at the chapel and the ministers and the rabbi would say that the space itself is consecrated, it's sanctified, because of the purpose to which it is put. Just like a, a simple thing could be sanctified and transformed into something better and something holy. Uh, when one dedicates a, uh, a house of prayer to the greater glory of God, that is what gives it its purpose, and that's what sanctifies it. It's that which transcends or transfigures the place itself and the materials themselves. You mean that, that the chapel of the Dormition is closed forever? Well, I understand from one of the participants who is, who is actually 
put in the registration that it has been purchased by a developer and it may be used as a wedding site, uh, a place for events. But yes, there are so few monks that I don't think that it can go on any longer. But at the very least, we'll have a chance to see the interior of the chapel. I don't believe that the chapel will be shuttered. I believe it may be a place where, where weddings will take place. And since we are in the Easter season, in fact, it's going to be the Feast of the Pentecost, since we are in the Easter season, we may even get to see one of the most important icons in the Eastern Rite, which is called the Resurrection Icon, but its title is Christ's Descent into Hades. And it, it's interesting because the icon itself tries to portray divine light, and that divine light is a, sort of an elliptical shape, always behind Christ. And it is called a mandorla, which is the Latin word for almond. That's the shape of this thing, of this background. And it is an attempt by the iconographer to express divine light. Interestingly, and somewhat actually, it seems to be a contradiction, the center of the, of the light is the darkest part. It gets lighter as it moves from the center of light outward. And in my understanding of the iconography of the icon itself, it is because the, the center is the light of God, the uncreated light, the, uh, something that is beyond light, something that is the forerunner of light. It is the presence of God himself. And that is why it's darker. And it goes from uh, maybe an indigo to maybe a, a sky blue and then a powder blue. And all of that radiates golden shafts of light. And that is a representation of the divine light, the same thing that Blessed Julia was trying to encounter, God in the essence of God, the same thing that Matisse was trying to ex express in using light as his substance for lighting up the interior. And I am sure the same thing that Edward Hicks tried to express in all of his religiously-based paintings. They have the inner light, and that is going to be one of those, uh, the things, I hope. How would you have them proceed? Do they need to sign up or just show up in Hazleton at 8.30 in the morning on the 23rd? Well, uh, I, I need them to contact me simply because I always limit this tour to 25 people. And that has nothing to do with COVID. That has been my practice for years before that. I do not want the sanctuaries to be overwhelmed by people. So I limit it to 25, and they can contact me. The preferred way is to call me at area code 570-655-3437, at 570-655-3437, or they can email me, and my email address is my name in reverse order. L-O-K-U, like Utah, T like Texas, A, J-A-N, 784, at gmail.com. That's L-O-K-U-T-A, J-A-M, 784, at gmail.com. And it will be Sunday, May the 23rd, starting at 830 at the Hub Center, 15 West Broad Street in downtown Hazleton. 
John Lakuta, arts advocate from the Wyoming Valley, speaking with us about the 2021 Artists' Tour of Landmark Churches to be held Sunday, May 23rd, getting underway at 8.30 in the morning at the Hub Welcome Center, 15 West Broad Street in downtown Hazleton. The tour is free and open to artists, photographers, teachers, students, and anyone else interested in art. There will be a limit of 25 participants, and participants are reminded to wear masks and comfortable walking shoes and clothing appropriate for visiting active houses of worship. Parking in downtown Hazleton is free on Sundays, so you can park on Broad Street in front of the Welcome Center. And to let John know that you'd like to join in, area code 570-655-3437, 655-3437, area code 570. Or you can send him an email, lakutajohn784 at gmail.com, L-O-K-U-T-A-J-A-N 784 at gmail.com. It's the 2021 Artist Tour of Landmark Churches, Sunday, May 23rd, and it's led by John Lakuta, free of charge, open to artists, photographers, teachers, students, and anyone else interested in art, beginning at 8.30 in the morning at the Hub Welcome Center, 15 West Broad Street in downtown Hazleton, limited to 25 participants. Just let him know that you'd like to join in. Area code 570 655 Three four three seven.